So I was praying about what the Lord would have for us this week because where we're at in Matthew is John the Baptist beheaded. And uh, that didn't feel like a really good Christmas message. I, I, really, I prayed and I looked and I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, is it okay that we just skip over John the Baptist beheaded until after Christmas? Because I think I, I personally would like a Christmas message. Like I'd like something to kind of push me through to the end of the week, get ready, prepare my heart. And the Lord said, you know what? Talk about John the Baptist beheaded the week after Christmas. <clears throat> so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Verses 8 through 12. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields. You guys know the story. Keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. The title of today's message is Do Not Be Afraid. Do not be afraid. No one likes being afraid. No one likes being scared. No one likes being startled. Or at least I don't like to do things that make me scared and startled. I've had enough fears in my life that I don't have to go finding things to make me scared. I don't have to put myself in situations to make me scared. I don't want to put myself in situations that make me scared. I don't like horror movies. I don't like evil themed stuff. I want the good stuff, man. I want the Bible joy. That's what I want. Now, if you're paying attention, there's a lot to be afraid or fearful of nowadays. There just is, right? If you don't pay attention, you can get sucked up into the fear. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of teaching on fear this morning from the Bible, but I want to give you just a, a, a picture of what the media is actually trying to sell you because some people are oblivious to the fact that you are being manipulated by media corporations that want you to be controlled so they can make money off of you. And this is not a new tactic. They've been doing it for decades. You, you, have to, you have to think about the words that the media uses. And I'm going to teach you something here. And from this point forward, if you pay attention and you watch every news story and you read every news story, there's always a piece of this in every single one of them. Every single one of them. There's a possible link. This, this is the language that they use. To try to draw fear because it creates this idea in your mind of like there's a possible link. There's a possible link between rain and murder. Because when it rains, there's murders. Another one is officials are worried about. There's no link. They already said there was a possible link. They can't prove the link. But now some official who's lost is worried about a possible link. And if they put the word official in front of it, then it sounds like, well, if an official is worried about, there must be something really to be concerned about. Mind you, there's no link and nothing yet has happened, but there's a possible link and officials are worried about. You guys picking it up? Our nations, they use this term a lot because it, it, it makes this idea that there's this large-scale story. Our nation's natural gas pipeline infrastructure. Yeah. It sounds a lot more ominous 
then they got a pipe busted down in Kentucky and they gotta fix this thing. Yeah. <laughs> the nation's natural gas infrastructure. Why do they always say shocking details when we come back? If it's so shocking, why can't they just tell us right now? No, no, no. When we come back, then you're going to get the shocking details. Officials consider the threat to be serious. Which threats aren't serious? That's what I want to know, right? I mean, officials say the threat is serious. And they always paint these pictures of like, uh, they'll ask some officials, so if everybody in the world got sick, could the hospitals handle it? <laughs> of course they couldn't handle it, right? Officials say it's a serious threat. Officials are closely monitoring. It's always the officials. Who are these officials? How do you, how do you get a, a title of, a, of an official? The officials are closely monitoring. Why? Because nothing yet is happening. But they want to incite fear in you to let you know that officials are concerned, but they're closely monitoring a possible link of nothing yet that is actually happening. But they use the language of could, perhaps, Potential might, my favorite is, an alarming percentage. Well, who decides what alarming percentage is? 5%, 10%, 15%? But it's an alarming percentage. Deadly. Yes, very deadly. There's, some things are deadly, but not everybody dies. And then they use the language of a new study, a new report. Experts fear, experts worry. If they're such experts, why are they so filled with fear and worry all the time? Why? All the time. They seem to do this a lot. Experts say it's just a matter of time. They've been saying that for years, haven't they? And no one ever brings it back up, right? You listen to Al Gore and we should all be eight feet underwater by now. It's just what they do. It's what they sell. They do the man on the street thing. One guy in the middle of, I don't know, some podunk town in Washington. What's the podunk? Shahalis, right? Are you afraid of Mount Rainier exploding? Yeah, looks like it could blow. Washingtonians fear. One guy. One of the greatest reasons I love Christmas is that we get this reminder. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. Do not be afraid. Don't have fear. Don't live that way. There's nothing good in fear. Nothing. Do you know how many times the Bible mentions do not fear or do not be afraid? I, th I think it's because fear is something that has plagued humans from the beginning of time. We're just prone to fearfulness. It's what we do. And so you start from Genesis all the way to the end, and God repeatedly has to tell his people, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not worry, don't be concerned. Because apparently even before the media industrial complex came to town, people were still afraid of things that might happen. And so God says, do not be afraid. Top ten fears that people have. Social phobias. Excessive self-consciousness in social situations. I don't struggle from that. 
Agoraphobia, fear of specific places or venues, fear of open spaces. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Heterohanophobia, fear of flying. Claustrophobia, fear of enclosed spaces. I'm saying this and some of you already like that to me. Entomophobia, fear of insects. That's kind of me. Ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. Sinophobia, fear of dogs. Astrophobia, fear of storms. Tripanophobia, fear of needles. Poke around the internet, man. You can find this stuff. A large percentage of people, and they did some studies, this is what a large people, uh, excuse me, a large percentage of people worry about. Financial instability, political instability, future pandemics, global warming, war, natural disaster, food shortages. But there's five primal fears that people have. And these are the ones that are uh, kind of ingrained in us from the time that we're born. Fear of abandonment, loss of identity, loss of meaning, loss of purpose, fear of death. Those are the primal fears that all of us have. But, but here's the, and those are kind of put on us, but there's really only two fears that people are actually born with. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Those two things, the only fears that we're actually, and that's, that's natural, right? The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. If you get around a baby and you make loud noises, they'll startle. If you feel like they're going to drop, then they'll startle as well. Everything else is a learned behavior. Those are the only two that we are actually born with. But I want you to hear what the Bible says about fear. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is that true? Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Is that true? Second Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Is that true? First John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Is that true? John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Psalm 56, 3 says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now, I'm going to unpack this for a few moments, but I'm going to give you the whole entire kit and caboodle at the beginning. This is how you overcome every fear in your life. Do you guys want to overcome fear in your life? And this, this, please, if you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. Are you listening? You have to control your thoughts. That, that's, the, that's the biggest component of it. If you are overcome with any fear in your life, the beginning of it is learning to control your thoughts. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And what, and what fear is, is a reveal inside of us that we're not trusting God. We're, we're not believing God's word. We're not believing what he said he would do. And so when our minds are set to other things like snakes and spiders and breakdowns and everything else, we're losing our ability to control what our minds are thinking about. 
You make that choice. We make that choice of what we choose to think about. The Bible says in Philippians 4.8, this is what it says. Did they get it up here? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It doesn't say to think about everything that's bad and everything that's worrisome. It doesn't say watch the news and be filled with their fear. It doesn't say read a bunch of articles and be filled with doubt. It doesn't say any of that. It says what we should be thinking about is whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is true. Meditate on those things. God knew what he was doing when he told us we control what we think about. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We've got to control our thoughts. And how do we do that? We take captive every thought. We choose what we think about. And if a thought comes in, we captivate it and we make it obedient to Christ. So if a thought comes into your mind that's fear-based, you make a decision with your mind. No one chooses what you're going to choose to ruminate on. And you say, I'm going to take captive that thought and I choose to think about what the Word of God says about this situation. So that the second part of controlling your mind is you've got to use the Word of God. That's it. That's the whole sermon. Control your thoughts By using the word of God. It's what Jesus did, but you have to know it to be able to use it. If you don't know it, you can't use it. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You have to speak scripture to your situation. It's what Jesus did. When Satan came and he tempted Christ, he didn't shoot him with lightning bolts. He used the word of God against the evil one. So I'm just going to go with what Jesus did. If Jesus used the word of God, I'm going to use the word of God. But you can't use the word of God if you don't have the word of God, which is why we preach, read your Bible every single day. Not because it gets you to heaven and not because it's a proof of your salvation and everything else, but it's because it's good. It's food for the soul. When you read about what God did and what God does and what scripture says, and you watch this, have a bad day, you've got that scripture inside of you to control your thoughts and take captive every thought and then live out the scriptures and use it to your benefit. Amen. Amen. You've got to trust God. You've got to know that there is no fear if you believe that God is God and he will take care of it. And some of you are already fighting in your mind what I'm saying. And you say, you don't know my fears. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the situation that I'm going through. And I would say to you, you don't know my God. You don't know what he does and how he works and what he's capable of. You've, you've been sucked in to this lie that your fears are bigger than your faith. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Our God is powerful. He's mighty. Isaiah 35, 4 says, say to those who are fearful hearted, say to those that are fearful hearted, be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. God knew you were going to be filled with fear. He knew it. He doesn't say, say to those that are filled with fear, you're probably really scared. Let me, let me jump into your psychosis and be fearful with you. Come on. No. Fear begets fear. It's infectious. 
not going to believe this. Are you kidding me? I believe the Bible, Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. That's what a good word does, man. And I I, I speak this full knowing that I myself have many times given myself over to fear. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and be like, oh, I just, I walk in faith and victory every day and I have no fears. Dude, fear is constantly trying to take me down. And, and it'll suck you into its side and try to get you to do things that are irrational and believe things that are irrational. And then next thing you know, you're just out there worshiping fears and idol. Yeah. Here's, here's what those fears really are. Okay. These are what these fears really are. When, when we get fearful, when we start to ask the question, will I have provision? These are the base fears. These are the ones that, that when you really kind of boil it down to where you're at in this world and your life, you start to get fearful when you ask that question, am I going to have provision? And, and if you look at all the fears and worries that people have, whether it's, you know, planes or spiders or financial instability or wars or famines or everything else, the biggest one that people have is how will I be taken care of? How, how am I going to, where am I going to live? What, what am I going to eat? And, and that's like something that people dealt with probably thousands of years ago, but now it takes on a new label. It's things like, well, what am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do about my health care coverage? What am I going to do in retirement? What about my 401k? What about my IRA? What about my earning potential? These are real life fears that all of us deal with. Yes. Yeah, they're real. Now in this scenario, I will tell you that it's normal But I would also refer you back to the beginning of this message to help you understand that the powers that be in the media and everything else, they want you to be fearful. And and because fearful people want to come back and, and drink from their slop wagon and see what the answer is because they sell the fear and then they sell the cure. And then it just stays in this perpetual fight a cycle because they want you to live constantly worried and doubtful. And so they, t- they plan, market's down today. Market's down five points by news of what the officials said. Yeah. Experts say if this continues, it could wipe out years. Yeah. And then you look, get on the computer and you look at your little investments like, what are we going to do? I'm not retiring for 25 years. And if this continues, I'm going to have to eat dog food. <laughs> the experts say they're concerned, closely monitoring. Matthew 6:33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What that means as a Christian is that my primary goal is to seek the kingdom. My primary goal is to seek Christ and everything else is going to be taken care of. I I need a constant reminder of this. I mean, I, I, I would be lying to you if I told you that there wasn't times when I think about like, what does my future look like? But how am I going to be taken care of in retirement? How much longer is my life going to be this way? If you notice your heart worrying, you get gripped with fear. You need to do something. So what do you do? You get some word inside of you. That's what you do. You control your thoughts and then you start reading your Bible. And then you come across great scriptures where an angel says, do not be afraid. 
And so if the angel spoke to those people, do not be afraid. Well, I'm like, well, whatever I'm going through right now, I should probably not be afraid as well. I should probably hold on to those promises of scripture that said that fear is not of God. And that I don't have to fear and I don't have to be afraid. Because the Bible says, if I'm worried about my provision, my God shall supply all your need. My Bible says, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance. The Bible says in Psalms 34.10, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Do you believe those scriptures? Do you believe them to be true? There, there are stories all throughout the Bible of God's miraculous provision. Times when God did big, big things in people's lives. Joseph during the famine, manna in the desert, the loaves and the fishes. Let me, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but I'm going to show you this from uh, 1 Kings. And in, in 1 Kings, Elijah was there and God provided for him in a, uh, in a very powerful way. Not in 1 Kings. Is it 2 Kings? Yeah. Oh, dang it. Who did my notes? I think it's 2 Kings, not Solomon. 2 Kings. It's not going to be up there. Who made these notes? Oh, gosh, man. I'm so fired up. I was in chapter 6. Here we go. Now it's not going to be here either. It's 1 Kings 17. That's exactly what it is, Marcus. Good job. Marcus has complete recall of the Bible. I went to 1 Kings 7 and I was like, that's not it. Did you know that you can still be a Christian and not memorize the whole entire Bible? Unless you're Marcus Ford because he loves the Lord. He has the whole entire thing. Don't miss this. This is a great story. Yeah, there it is. And Elijah the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. It will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he was worried about how he was going to eat, what he was going to do. And God says, don't worry about it. I've told birds to come and feed you there. <laughs> so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows from the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. When it seemed like it wouldn't be enough, when it seemed like he didn't know what he was going to do, God commanded birds to come and feed Elijah. And you would say, man, that seems kind of far-fetched, isn't it? Yeah, it's really far-fetched if you don't believe in God. It's really far-fetched. It's far-fetched to believe that in, in, in Egypt, when the uh, uh, Israelites were leaving and they were wandering in the desert, that God made food fall from the sky. Manna in the desert. This is the God that we believe in. Amen? Did God not provide Lazarus with a new life? Did he not provide miracles and healing through the ministry of Jesus and Paul? Here, here's what I know. Psalm 37, 25. I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Here's what I've found in my life. I've never found somebody who absolutely loves Jesus, loves his church, 
serves, gives, loves consistently, is living a life of righteousness. I've never seen those people go without. Never, never, never. What I have seen is half-hearted, lackluster, lukewarm people that play Christianity and then they, they seem to always have these turmoils in their lives. And then they come back and say, well, I've been serving God and I don't know what's happening. I'm like, no, you're the product of your bad decisions and rebellion. And you're not living according to the word of God. And now you're like blaming God for your own bad decisions. And I'm not saying we're not going to have struggles as Christians. But, you know, the financial woes that Crystal and I went through for many years was not because of what God did. It was because of what we did with our credit cards. We, we, you know, the emergency on Friday night was we needed pizza, you know, and, and so swipe, 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 and, you know, turn around 10 years later and we got $40,000 in credit card debt, man. And then we got breakfast burritos too. Well, now we've been set free from that bondage, right? But I didn't blame God for it. I blamed myself and my stupidity. I, I said, I didn't lead my family accordingly. Go to FPU. The message of the angel was, do not be afraid. Why? Because God had provision for a savior. He had provision for a king, provision for a Lord. Live right, man. Get your mind right. Uh, Take captive every thought. Get to know the word of God and let the word of God remind you that God has you in this season. I don't know why, but we're, we're overweight people that have full pantries that are overeating often and keep worrying about what am I going to do about my food when you've been overeating for decades? <laughs> why, why, what, what are you really worried about, man? I mean, when I was a kid, I, I digress, but I can't help it. When I was a kid, you only got certain fruits certain types of the year. Right? The strawberries came in. The peaches came in. And now we're such overindulgent Americans that we want strawberries all year long. And then we get upset in the middle of winter that the watermelon doesn't taste good. When I was a kid, you just didn't get those types of fruits and vegetables in the middle of winter. You just, it was seasonal fruit. But now we're just overindulgent. Did you know that Americans comprise, and I, I forget my example, Americans comprise I think 15% of the population of the planet, but our body mass is 40% of the weight of all humans on the planet. You take all the humans, the 7 billion, the Americans take up 40% of the mass of the 7 billion where we constitute only 15% of the population. You're going to be fine. I promise you. Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Luke 12, 7, by, by the very, uh, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Believe right now that God has already provided. He's already sustained you up to this point. There's no reason to think differently. When, when the fear mongers come out and say, officials believe that there could be a shortage on cream cheese this Christmas. <laughs> Anybody else hear that? Yes. Yeah. Officials are concerned what could happen if there was no cream cheese this Christmas. I went to Walmart yesterday. There was a whole entire section. Creams and spreads and boxes and all that. Just cre- it was spilling out. Officials believe that if everybody got cream cheese, 
you know what? You're going to live without cream cheese. For some reason, you walk through aisles and aisles of food that there's still, there's still going to be that fake meat. You'll still be able to buy it because nobody's buying that stuff. It's just sit there, right? But you walk by just food upon food, and the, but they find, officials believe we might run out of Rice Krispies. It's just because the devil wants you to stop having joy, man. He wants you to stop being generous. He wants you to stop loving others. He wants you to become a miserly, miserable miscreant that can't enjoy what they have because they're so worried about it being taken away. God's going to provide. Secondly, we get fearful when we ask, well, I have protection, right? Worried about whether we're going to be taken care of. But then we're also worried about like, man, what's going to happen like physically to me? And here's what happens in the news and everything else. Violence drives fear. And it's true. The murder rate is up in 12 American cities. That's true. It's also true that our local police are no longer empowered to fight crime. It's also true that politicians have created a system where criminals are not punished for the crimes they commit. And it might lead you to have fear, but I don't believe in fear. I don't. I I personally know that I could be surrounded by violence and still be okay. It doesn't mean I don't take precautions. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, I always say I don't go stupid places at stupid time with stupid people doing stupid things. I I don't go stand down at First and Pike in Seattle at 1 o'clock in the morning and be like, come at me, bro. I ain't afraid. I don't do that. Okay, But what I do know is that I don't have to live in a constant state of high alert, believing that everything around me is falling apart and that my God is not going to protect me. Here's what believers have protection from. We have protection from attacks of the devil. Second Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. That's true. I don't, I don't live and people say, well, aren't you worried about the end times? Aren't you worried? No, I know whose I am. I know who I am. I'm not worried about what devil comes marching down the street. I got power in the name of Jesus. I'm not worried about him at all. Satan has no power over the child of God. The scriptures declare it. And so if the devil comes in and tries to make you feel like the, the first day of a Christian's life is more powerful than all demons in the world. The first day you get, you get saved here, you're walking out, you've got more power than the devil. And immediately you've got more power than any evil spirit. No weapons formed against you are going to prosper. That's what it says. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Watch this. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. It might seem like you're behind, but you're not. That weapon will not prosper. But here's what happens is you give yourself over to fear. You think about something, you ruminate on it, and then you can't even function because you're afraid of something happening to you that hasn't happened to you. And you believe that this fear is real because you're asking the question, am I going to be protected when you already have been protected and you are being protected and you are safe? You have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ and use the word of God. Amen. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. You have not gone through what David had to go through. 
And so that's why when these scriptures that are written by David should inspire you to say, if God protected David from Saul and saw him through battles and saw him through all these other things, how is he not going to take care of me? I know he's going to take care of me. Isaiah 41 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Exodus 14, 4, the Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. God has been saying for thousands of years to his people, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be concerned. Look at me, young people. Hey, if you're under the age of 18, look at me right now. I just want to remind because I look down and you guys are probably playing on your phones, doing your Twitters and your Instagrams and talk ticks and all that stuff. Look at me, young people. Look at your pastor. You guys are going to live long, fruitful lives. God is preparing spouses for you and careers for you. You guys are going to have good, long lives. You guys are going to glorify. You guys are going to be in charge of this church one day. And you're, you're going to see God do great, miraculous things. And, and whatever friends or people around you are speaking doubt and despair over you, you need to reject it in Jesus' name. It's so important because what happens is that they want you guys to believe that this is the end, but this is not the end. This is the beginning. You guys are going to have great life. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your guys' lives. You spend too much money on locks and passwords and defense and safety. And, and we have to, right? I mean, I lock my doors, but I don't live in fear, right? I mean, we lock the church at night. I don't want people coming in and stealing our toilet paper. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't live in fear. Things can be replaced, right? Whatever. It's fine. Noah built a boat. (laughs) Right? I mean, he knew the rains were coming. He didn't say, I'm just going to trust God with this plank of wood. No. He built a boat. God protected David, Shadrach. He'll use angels, fires, floods, escape routes. He drowned the Egyptian army behind fleeing Israel. God will show up in ways that you least expect it and protect you. You'll come back, but man, we were almost there. And somehow God told us to not be there. We almost did that and we didn't do that. God sent this person to pull me away at the exact right time. Hebrews 13, 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Honestly, what can he do? And this is, this is one of the greatest mindsets that you can have when it comes to fear. To die as Christ and to, uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. We're barreling towards death. Right? We were talking about that. We are, we are a, a belief system that we are just preparing for death. And so if death is the worst thing that can happen, we don't even have to worry about it because we're prepared for death. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those that trust him. Thirdly, we get fearful when we ask, will I have peace? Will I have peace? Because even if you don't fear about your, here's what happens. If you're feeling about your, if you're fearful about your provision, your protection, usually you don't have peace. But then you like move past those things and you're still kind of sitting there like, man, anxiety weighs hard, hard on me in a lot of things. And I will tell you, God does not intend any one of us to be anxious about anything at all. And, 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 and here's what I really know. And I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hands. There's a lot of people that worry about a lot of things that shouldn't worry about those things. 
You're filled with anxiety about stuff that just you, you need not be worried about. God intends that you would have... Now watch this, because I don't believe in, a, in, a, in an emotional experience uh, of serving God. I'm, I'm very emotional about serving God, but I don't think that's the purpose of serving God. But the promise of peace... <coughs> excuse me. The promise of peace of the scriptures is actually a promise of emotional peace. Yeah. Yeah. To actually feel peace. Yeah. To not have, because anxiety is a feeling, right? It makes your tum- stomach in knots or it makes your body feel keyed up. And the promise of peace is a promise of like, no, you don't have to walk through life that way. You can actually experience the freedom that you have in Christ and actually walk in peace. It's not just like this existential idea of like, oh, peace is something that you can't even get. No, God promises an actual real peace. That's why Jesus said in John 16, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so understanding the victory that we have in Jesus helps us understand the victory that we have over the world. It's why when you're surrounded by other people that seemingly are overcome with insurmountable fear, you look at not in a, in a bad way, but you're just like, what's your problem, man? Like, who do you believe in? What do you, like, how long are you going to keep drinking from the trough of fear, man? Don't you want to be set free of this? And then, and this lack lack of peace again comes from what we we think we're going to lose or what's going to happen to us or when we die. But the truth of the promises of scripture should realign our priorities to the things of God so we can experience his peace right now. Because that's the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is peace right now. We have a promise of future peace in heaven when we die and we go there to spend eternity with Jesus. But Jesus also promises that right now, that's why he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the what? Comforter. Comforter. The Holy Spirit is supposed to come to bring us comfort throughout the world. And so how do we do that pragmatically? We have to keep our mind on him. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do not think about things that are not of God. Just choose not to. If you can't handle the news, don't watch it. Don't read it. If you can't handle movies, don't watch them. If if the only thing you can do is hang out with Christian people and read the Bible, do that. Because you know what? All of your worrying is not going to change the trajectory of international affairs. There's, there's so much you, I cannot do nothing about corn prices in the Midwest. I can't do nothing about pork processing. I, I was, I was filled with fear when it came to pork prices. I was, but he delivered me for, where's my bacon? We have to let peace rule. Let peace rule, Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called one body and be thankful Why are you letting anything else steal your peace? You're promised from the scriptures that you would have peace. And so when you give that up, you're giving up your promises. How do we do that? We keep peace with others. See, fear begets fear and anger begets anger and frustration begets frustration. So we want to keep the peace with others. The Bible says, pursue peace with all people without which no one will see the Lord. You might not have peace in your life because you like to create relationship problems. You like to fight with your family and fight with your friends and fight with people on Facebook. James says the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you know why I have peace in my relationships? Because I seek out peace. If I have a problem with somebody, I quickly go to them and say, hey man, where are we at? 
Is there something wrong between you and I? Because I, I want to sleep well tonight. I don't want the, the sun to go down on my anger. I'm not going to be quarrelsome because if you're quarrelsome, you're not going to have peace in your life. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You have to think, man, what's the quickest way to peace in this situation? Here's the last point. And, 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 and I don't... Maybe you don't deal with this. Maybe you do. I don't know. The last, and I, I don't know if you guys noticed, I, I did the P thing today, right? I did provision, protection, and then peace, right? No, did anybody else pick that up? I worked really hard on it. The last one is, we get fearful when we ask, will I have purpose? And then we, we all at some point think about our life and what matters about it, right? And, and, and again, young people, listen to me, young people. Are you guys looking at me? I, I'm going to prophetically say that God did not intend for you to be a social media influencer. It's not your calling. Okay. God did not. I'm, I'm almost abundantly clear that God did not intend for you to be rich or famous or be a TikToker. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Because what the world tries to sell them is that if you don't have a million followers and everybody isn't watching your little whatever, that you're insignificant. That's what it sells. Why are we so consumed with what famous people are doing? We throw these people award shows, right? They're already rich and famous. And then they have multiple award shows where they get more awards for being rich and famous. And so what happens with this, with this guise of importance is we figure, well, nobody knows me and nobody cares about me, then I must be insignificant. I must not have purpose unless people are writing books about me or if, if I don't have a hundred million followers, my, whatever little small sphere of influence that I have must be totally and completely insignificant. And I will tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell, man. Your, your purpose is very clear from the scriptures and it is not to be famous. It's not to have a following it's, it's not that at all. Your calling and your purpose is to be obedient to what God has asked you to do. That's it, man. It's why my favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And then if you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes, I always, I encourage people to read it. The story is a guy went and did everything and had everything and took part in everything and still wasn't full. And at the end, he said this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all. Listen clearly to your pastor. Uh, We're getting to the end here. I don't want you to give up. I do not care what your job is. I don't don't come to church on Sunday and care more about the person that seemingly has a job that has more teeth. It's it's insignificant to me. What matters to me is who you are as a person. Where are you at with your relationship with God? I don't don't even care if you have a job. I I don't even, what I care is, are you following the scriptures? Because that's what, that what makes you significant to me in my life, because that's what my life is focused on as well. And, And I will tell you that you might think that your life doesn't matter or that you might made some bad decisions, but in the, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Fear not. Do not be afraid. The purpose of your life is found in losing your life. It's found in making God's purpose go forward. God wants to affect the world and he needs you to do it. You're, you're the A team, you're the varsity team, you're the one that God has called to, so whatever small or large way, if you're honoring God and you're bringing others to do the same, you're living out your purpose. You're living it out. Don't, don't ask yourself, like, well, maybe I'm going to be forgotten. Yeah, you probably will, and that's the goal. Preach the word, die, be forgotten. That's what you're supposed to do, man. 
Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Believe Psalm 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. You need not be concerned. He sent his son Jesus for you to have purpose. And the purpose is to die to self and live for the king. That's it. Your life matters to him. The Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. The Bible says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Ephesians says, in him we have also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Stop living in fear. Control your thoughts. Know your Bible and use the scriptures. You are going to be provided for. You are going to be protected. You are going to have peace and you have a purpose. There's no reason to live in fear. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I really really pray that the Lord delivered some of you this morning from fear. You're going to leave this place and the devil is going to come immediately and try to steal that word that God has sown in your heart. You take every thought captive. If you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, you'd like to become a Christian, we'd like to make that invitation to you this morning. So if you've never made a decision and said, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow Jesus, and you'd like to do that for the first time, we want to pray with you this morning. So if you'd like to make that decision, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. If you've been a Christian, but you've fallen away, find yourself in a place where like, man, I'm so far from God and I need to come back to him. Today is your day. Today is your day. You'd like to come back to Jesus. Rededicate your life. You can raise your hand right now. We'll pray with you as well. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you that you deliver us from all fears. We thank you that you set us free from our fears. Father, we, we, we're going to take every thought captive. We're going to make it obedient to you because that's what you told us to do. We're going to keep our minds on you, God. And we thank you that you provide for us and you protect us. And, we give it, and you give us your peace and your purpose. Father, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.